High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Bible and go to Amos chapter 9. We're going to be continuing uh, this series that we started last week. Pastor Robert started called Let's Get Loud. Somebody say, Let's Get Loud. And over the course of this series, we are talking specifically about praise and worship. And one of the things that uh, Dad talked about last week, and if you didn't get to listen to the whole message, if you weren't here, uh, you can go check it out on Facebook, on YouTube, or on our podcast, so you can kind of get the full uh, scope of things. But we were talking a little bit about how God likes it when our worship is loud. Uh, I'm just going to recap a little bit with this, and, and just this thought, uh, which is if you don't think that God likes it loud, go look at the picture that is painted of heaven, right? It literally says that proceeding from the throne are lightnings and thunder. Now we live in Florida. We had some thunder yesterday, right? How many of y'all had some thunder at your house or maybe when you were out and about yesterday? Uh, Now it got loud, but there was about a month or two ago, uh, we had some really bad weather overnight. Does anybody remember what I'm talking about? I mean, it was horrible. And I had a lightning, like at three in the morning, I had a lightning strike that must have been very close to my house, if not in my backyard at like three in the morning. And uh, it woke up my entire house. It literally, I don't even know how this happens. I'm sure somebody can explain it to me. It literally set off the fire alarms in my house because it shook the house. Now, I don't know if anybody else has ever had that happen. But at 3 a.m., when your whole house shakes and the fire alarm goes off, you remember, yeah, you're awake. You remember, have you ever seen a cartoon where somebody like just like almost levitates out of bed? Right? You like don't sit up, you just like fly up your whole body. That was what Pastor Miranda did laying next to me. She flew up and over to me. I was like, what was that? I was like, I don't know, I don't, I'm awake. It was loud. It was very loud. And that is literally one of the pictures that we get of heaven, that from the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders. If you think that whenever you get to heaven, you're going to escape people and noise, you are going to be very disappointed. You're going to be sorely disappointed if you think whenever you get to heaven, you're going to escape people and noise. It's really funny if you ask people, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? A lot of people say, well, we're just going to worship around the throne, right? The throne that from it proceeds lightnings and thunders, right? That there is a great symphony of people that day and night cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I guarantee you in his presence, they're not whispering that. Because they know who they're worshiping. Worship is loud. Praise is loud. Nothing wrong with being quiet. I'm not saying that's wrong or theologically incorrect. There are times that we are quiet. But as a general rule, worship has some volume to it. It has some force to it. And we see that throughout scripture as well. But today, I don't really necessarily want to talk about that as much as I want to talk about this fact of what your praise is ordained to do. That you understand you're not just getting loud to get loud. 
right? That you're not just worshiping to worship, that you're not just praising to praise, but there is a purpose behind what you are doing and that your praise was created for something. Do you realize your praise was created for something? God has a purpose for everything. God didn't create anything just for the express purpose of I'm God and you're going to do what I said just because. Right? God actually, God is so much better than us that he actually tells us why we're doing what we're doing. What do you mean better? You ever told your kids something and they go, why are you? Because I said so. Right? I've done that a lot. Don't worry about it right now. Just do what I said. I'll explain it later. The good news about God is he really almost always tells us exactly why he's telling us to do what he tells us to do. In Amos chapter 9, it says this, verse 11, On that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old in order that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this. Now, Amos chapter nine here, what it is referencing, what the fallen booth of David is in reference to is the tabernacle of David. Somebody say tabernacle of David. It is the tabernacle of David that is being referenced here. In 1 Chronicles 16, we read, and you can go read this some other time, but 1 Chronicles 16, we read the establishment of the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David was a place where praise and worship was continually going on. It housed the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God, and continual praise was given unto God in the tabernacle of David. Interestingly enough, this is kind of a, a side note, but interestingly enough, also part of the tabernacle of David was generations that worshiped and that served together. Actually talks about Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun, who were the chief minstrels or the chief, uh, we put it this way, they were the worship leaders of the tabernacle of David. They were the worship pastors of the tabernacle of David. And it talks about how their sons and their daughters served with them. So an interesting thing here is part of the order or part of the tradition or part of, of the culture of the tabernacle of David was that generations served and worshiped together. Let me just say this. I don't believe, let me back up, let me put it this way. Any church that is simply serving one generation is not really operating in a kingdom order. I'll say that again. Any church that is simply serving one generation is not operating in a kingdom order because God throughout all of scripture does things generationally. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Whenever we start reading about who Jesus is, it starts with genealogy. It starts by telling us his lineage and his history. Even John goes, in the beginning was the word, and it even goes back all the way to the beginning. Generations are important to God. That's why at high praise, you will see manifestations of ministry that can be, uh, uh, can be perceived as being towards a, a great number of generations because we don't believe in just ministering to one generation group. We believe in ministering to everyone who's in our community and our community is multi-generational. Can I say this? That's why you'll see us doing things that 
Uh, That's why you see multiple races and cultures up here. Because if you're just trying to minister to one race or one culture group, you are also missing the mark. Because the kingdom is multiracial and multicultural. All right, y'all don't shout me down because I'm preaching good this morning. If you think when you get to heaven, you're just going to be surrounded by white people, you're going to be really disappointed. If you think when you get to heaven, you're going to be surrounded by black people, you're going to be very disappointed. John says, I see every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in Revelation. Right? Heaven's not segregated. It's not segregated by race. It's not segregated by generation. It's not segregated by gender. Everybody's there worshiping together. And by the way, if we are called to be a reflection of heaven, which the church should be, Jesus told his disciples, pray this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On the earth as it is in heaven. If we are called to be a reflection of heaven, then our worship should be loud, but it should also be multi-generational. It should also be multicultural. It should also be multiracial. Maybe every song doesn't speak to you. That's okay. It ministers to somebody else. Maybe every song isn't your cup of tea. That's okay. We have some songs for grandma too. And grandma, maybe some of the stuff isn't your cup of tea. That's okay. It's for your grandkids and they're receiving and being ministered. And you should shout about that even if it's not your style. How'd I get up on this? This is good. Let's go back to the tabernacle of David. So hundreds of years after the removal of the ark and the tearing down of the tabernacle, Amos prophesies here in Amos 9 that God will raise it up once again and he will raise it and he will restore it. Now, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit through Amos is speaking of a literal physical tent that will be built one day again in Jerusalem that we're all going to get on a jet and fly to and worship in. Why do I believe that? One, because Jesus specifically tells the woman at the well that her worship is not dictated by her physical positioning. Right? She actually says, listen, Jesus, some of our ancestors tell us we're supposed to worship here. And some of our ancestors tell us we're supposed to worship there. Where do you say we're supposed to worship? And Jesus says, I'm telling you, the day is coming where those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the physical location of your worship is not what's important. It's your heart positioning and revelation that you worship in. Listen, if you think you have to come to church on Sunday morning to worship, and that's the only place you can worship, you're missing the mark. You should come to church on Sunday morning and worship. Amen. I said you should come to church on Sunday morning and worship. But you can also worship in your car. I've had some good shower worship sessions before. I've had some good living room worship sessions before. Some of y'all may, well, I'll be careful. Some of y'all may trip over this one. I've had some good Disney World worship sessions before. Y'all think I'm playing. I am dead serious. I'm 100% serious. Every, I'll tell, I've told you all this story before, but I'll tell it again. Every uh, December, Christmas season at Epcot, they do the festival of, what they call the festival of the holidays. And there is literally every year, there is a band in Epcot Center. At, it's not Epcot Center anymore, it's just Epcot. At Walt Disney World. And you can go stand 
in the middle of the open air in Disney World with thousands of people passing by. And you know what they do? They sing praise and worship songs, unedited, right in the, and, and Disney promotes it. And they'll get out there saying, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. And I've sat in Epcot and cried my face off. Got real quiet in here. Your worship, I know, I, know they, I know they do some stuff that's crazy. I know that. But you know what? I believe we can still, even in the, uh, your praise isn't just limited to the places that are lit up. Sometimes your praise is called to go into some places that are dark. Sometimes your praise is called to go into some places that are jacked up. They may not know what's going on, but there's things that are going on, I believe, as worship and praise is sung to the Lord that begins to change things and turn things around. Come on, somebody. Because your worship has power. We'll get there in just a minute. Your worship is not limited by your physical positioning. The Spirit of God through Amos is saying that the same spirit of worship that was prevalent at the tabernacle of David will be restored once again. And I believe that we are living in that day today where there is a spirit, there is an anointing of worship that is being released on the church in a new measure and in a new way that is going to carry us into a new season and a new day. Can somebody say amen this morning? Like I said earlier, God has a purpose for everything he does. God doesn't do anything that is meaningless. Your worship is not meaningless. God says through Amos what the purpose of it is. He talks about he's restoring the tabernacle of David. He is restoring this ministry of praise and worship. And why is it? In order that they may possess. Let me put it this way. So that they may possess. God raises up and he restores the tabernacle of David. Why? So that they may possess. Why? So that they may possess. Possess. The, the word possess there, it is, it's the Hebrew word yaresh. It literally means this, to occupy by driving out the previous tenants, to cast out, to consume, to destroy, and to disinherit. So God says, I am going through, I am going to restore and raise up the tabernacle of David. Why? So that they can occupy by driving out what has tried to take hold so that they can cast it out, so that they can destroy it, and so that they can disinherit. I believe God is restoring this attitude in our lives once again in praise and worship that your praise is a weapon of destruction to the kingdoms of darkness. Psalm 8.2 says this, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Why? Because of your enemies to silence the foe and to still the Avenger. He wasn't talking about Captain America or Iron Man when he said the Avenger. It's really interesting, the triumphal entry. I mean, the story of the triumphal entry and Jesus goes in and Jesus has been to the temple hundreds of times, thousands of times over his life. Because the Bible says it was his custom to go to the temple. And he's going into the temple, going into the temple, and a worship service breaks out. Right? Y'all know the story. 
They start yanking palm branches off of trees. They start laying their coats in the road and they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus saves. We talked about this before. That's what Hosanna means. Jesus saves. Jesus save us. And once again, Jesus has been to the temple thousands of times. And there have been money changers there the entire time. But this time, something is different. And this time, there's a worship service for him that precedes him entering the temple. And then when he goes in the temple, what does he do? He begins to flip the tables and drive out the people who are illegally there that were never intended to be there. He drives them out. Why? Because there is something about worship that begins to stir something. There's something about praise that begins to stir that causes things that are illegally present to be driven out by the Lord of hosts that he causes a casting out and a disinheriting of people who have taken hold of things they weren't called to take hold of and principalities and powers who weren't called to rule and reign. Whenever you worship, they begin to be driven out by your shout. You know, it's really interesting when the Pharisees get mad at Jesus about this and he goes, they go, Hey, what, do you, what, what is all this? What do you think about this? Who do you think you are? Jesus could quote any scripture in the Bible about worship and about praise. And you know which one he quotes? Psalm 8, 2. He says, have you not read that out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. Some translations say strength because of your enemies. There's this thing that God is trying to establish in us that your praise drives out your enemy. We have at times, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we have had this theology and this thought process that we praise God because God needs our praise. One of the fundamental tenets of Christianity that you have to really accept is God is all in all and with you or without you, he is still God. He is completely all sufficient within himself and here the way I say this, to one extent, he doesn't need you. You don't make him any more God than he already is. But he wants you. Your, your praise doesn't make God any more God than he already is. Your worship doesn't make him God any more God than he already is. Now, it does enable and empower him as God in your life to move but it doesn't make him any more God. God doesn't have an ego problem and that's why he commanded you to praise because he needed his ego stroked. That's not why he commanded you to praise is because he needs somebody to tell him how, that he's God and he's good and he's powerful and he's mighty. That's not why he created praise. He created praise, he created worship because there is an enemy of your soul that needs to be warred against, that needs to be battled against. And when you praise him and when you worship him, the enemy begins to be scattered in your life. Y'all with me? To go way, way back. Y'all hang me a few more minutes. To go way, way back. Lucifer, Satan, he was created essentially as the worship leader of all of heaven. And to make a long story short, you know what happened. He decided he was going to lead a rebellion in heaven. He takes a third of the angels and they rise up and they begin to think that they're better than God. That he said, we can be like God. Who is he? I can be just like him. Right? And he begins to rise up against God. He leads a rebellion. Of course, that was one of the dumbest things you could do. God cast him out. 
And then when God creates man, one of the things he does is he says the very thing that Lucifer was created to do, I'm now going to empower you to do. And whenever you worship and whenever you praise, the thing that he was originally created to do, it is going to silence him. The very thing that he was created to do is now going to be forged as a weapon against him. And that word silence in Psalm 8 2 is Shabbat. It literally means this, to cause to fail, to suffer, to be lacking, and to take away. Understand this. You legitimately are in a spiritual battle and in a spiritual war, and there is a real devil there is a real enemy and he really does not like you. And he really does not want to see you fulfill destiny and fulfill purpose. So what God has done is he has armed you with weapons to fight against him. And one of those weapons is worship and one of those weapons is praise. Understand this spiritual warfare is not drudgery. First Timothy 6:12. we are told to fight the good fight of faith. Spiritual warfare is a good fight. Worship is a good fight. You know why? Because you win. You know what the best fight is? A fight you win. <laughs> the best fight is a fight you win. It's like, when, it's like in, in football. You know what the best game is? The game when your team wins. It can be a great game, but if your team loses, it wasn't a great game. All the sports fans said. Listen, your team can play in the NBA finals. They can go to game seven and come down to the last shot. But listen, if it isn't your team that makes the last shot, that was a horrible game. You don't go rewatch the games you lost. But you certainly rewatch the games you won. The church says. Some of y'all are like, hey man, I don't really like sports. Trust me, we do. Those of us who like sports, we keep, listen, I don't know what it is. Y'all have, how many of you have a DVR or something like a DVR, right? A few of y'all, okay. Some of y'all are still catching up. On my YouTube TV, I don't, I have YouTube TV with a digital DVR now. And uh, you know what I do is, is whenever something, I, I record all my team's games, but if we lose, it gets deleted <laughs> real fast. Right? We win though. We, we're keeping that one. Especially if it's a big game. You're definitely going to keep that one. Listen, the good fight is the fight that you win. The reason it was called the good fight of faith, to fight the good fight of faith, is because it's a fight that you've already won because Jesus has already made you victorious. Let me say this the other reason it's a good fight is because you are not fighting to attain victory, you are fighting to enforce victory. And there is a difference. Jesus has already made you victorious. The enemy is still just catching up to that fact. And he'll still try to show up and he'll still try to, try to throw up a, a fight and principalities and powers will still show up and try to control and manipulate and wrangle things. But you've already been made victorious and Jesus has already rendered a verdict against them. And now worship is one of the ways by which we enforce the victory that Jesus has already accomplished. Like I said, praise and worship plays an important part in spiritual warfare. Psalm 2, 8-2 so illustrates that point. Understand this, though. 
The scripture where in 8.2 where it says, From the lips of children and infants you've ordained praise. That does not simply relegate worship to children. And as you get older and more mature, you grow out of that. And that's just for the spiritually immature and the young. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 18 that unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus encourages us to become like children. I don't believe Jesus is telling us to be immature, but he is telling us to have a childlike wonder. He is telling us that we have to keep that same trust that kids have. I don't really want to go down this road too far, but kids, kids will trust you to do stuff that's crazy. Right? Kids will just jump off something and you can be 20 feet across the room and they trust you're going to catch them. <laughs> Parents don't know what I'm talking about? It's one of the ways, well, they, they, they will trust. But you know the other thing about kids? Kids have no shame. I mean, like zero. Shame is something we learn over time. Kids have absolutely zero shame. I've answered the door before. Somebody come to the door and answer the door, and suddenly one of the kids will be running up, and I didn't even realize they weren't dressed, and they're running up half naked to the door. No shame, right? Kids have no shame. Kids will dance anywhere. Right? They'll just start getting it. Doesn't matter who's looking. Doesn't matter what. In, kids don't care what anybody thinks. They don't care what your opinion is. Especially really little kids. Especially toddlers. They do not care. Right? They absolutely do not care what you think. What you say. Sometimes even when you're their parent. Something they learn over time. They do not care. Kids, a lot of times you can just turn on music and they'll just start, they'll just start bopping. They'll start moving. They'll start twirling. They'll start jumping. They'll start doing something. There was a, I tell all my kids, this is one of the joys of being a pastor is you get to tell all these stories about your children. There was a Netflix movie that won an Academy Award. It was actually a Bollywood film. It won an Academy Award for best uh, best original song. And the name of the song is Natu Natu from India. And there was this whole, like, it was, if you know anything about Bollywood movies, which probably not a lot of you do, but Bollywood movies are known for these, like, big, epic dance numbers, right? And after the Academy Awards, I was playing this clip from this movie of this song that won the Academy Award. There's this, like, massive dance number. And Eva Joy and Eliza decided they were just going to join in and learn it themselves. And they think that they are nailing it. <laughs> but it is this incredibly intricate dance number. And one of them is three and the other one is six. And basically while they're doing all this really intricate dance stuff, Eliza and Eva are just dancing, jumping, da uh, jumping and kicking their feet like, look, look, we can do it too. And they don't care what anybody thinks. It's like, isn't this good, Daddy? It is beautiful, girls. And it is to me because I'm their dad. Listen, your worship may not be pretty. And it may not be perfect. And you may not have it all together. And you may not sing on key. And you may not dance on beat. And you may not be able to clap on rhythm. You may be one of those one, three clappers. Lord bless you. Don't bring a tambourine if you're a one and three clapper, please. You're welcome, Marcus, for me telling him that. 
It may not be pretty, but I promise you that your father looks at it and he is well pleased. That your father looks at it and he takes joy in it. That your father looks at it and it causes him to arise and fight on your behalf as you begin to worship him and as you begin to praise him. We, we need to get over thinking your praise has to be pretty. Your praise doesn't have to be pretty, it just needs to be real. And it just needs to be genuine. And it just needs to come from a real place. When children praise the Lord and they dance, it's always uninhibited. Like I said, they have no shame. Maybe we be like that again, that whenever we begin to worship the Lord, that we don't have shame. Who cares what the person next to you is thinking? Who cares what their opinion is? Who cares if you're singing on key or not, as long as you don't have a microphone? If you have a microphone, sing on key. But if you don't have a microphone, I don't care. Right? But it's not about the prettiness. It's about the heart. And it's about what's released as you begin to worship and as you begin to praise. It should be natural for us that when we come into God's presence, we begin to worship in an uninhibited manner. Your worship was never intended to be, uh, to be something that is restrained. It's intended to be something that's loud, that's boisterous, that's big. I could give you, and we're going to read some of it in just a minute, but I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 149. Just go ahead and turn there. We're going to read the whole, whole chapter. I don't know if you'll have the whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. And I, I want to read some of the ways that we're commanded to worship. We're going to close with this. But then also, what begins to happen on the other side of that worship? It says this, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. So one, we're commanded to sing. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So we're commanded to rejoice. Let them praise his name with dancing. Any church that tells you that you can't praise the Lord with dance has not read Psalm 149 apparently. Let them praise his name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths and the two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron, to execute on them the judgments decreed. This is the honor this honor have all his saints. This honor have all his saints. What is the honor? To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind the kings with fetters and with, and, and with, with, with nobles, the nobles with, with, with chains of iron. Listen, whenever we worship, whenever we praise, the enemy is bound that has come against your life. Why do we worship? Why do we praise? Because there's a real enemy who really doesn't like you and worship. Worship was created as a weapon to fight against him. Your worship and your praise was ordained to begin to silence him. Whenever the enemy gets talking, it's time for you to get praising because it will shut his mouth. 
If you want the enemy silenced, one of the quickest ways you can do it is begin to worship and begin to praise. Because the Bible says when we do, the enemy is completely and totally silenced. You may wonder, why do y'all put such a big emphasis on worship? Why is it such a big part? Why is it this? Why is it that? It's simple. It's because we believe God has given us a weapon of spiritual warfare against the enemy. And our praises execute God's vengeance. And we have the honor of executing those judgments on the enemy. Think about something for a second. God could have, if he wanted to, because he's God, right? And God can do what God wants. Yes? Do we agree with that? All right. Some of y'all do, some of y'all ain't sure. God could have, the very beginning, when Lucifer rebelled, thrown him straight into the lake of fire. Right? Could have, but he didn't. That's something he will do one day, but he did not. Why? There's a, potentially a lot of reasons, but let me give you my opinion. It's my opinion. Why I believe one of those is because God said this. He says, because you rebelled, because you were prideful, because you had a hard heart, I'm now going to send you to a place and there's going to be a people that I'm going to raise up. And what's going to happen is every time that they begin to do what you were created to do, it's going to cause punishment in your life. It's going to cause vengeance that has been written against you to begin to be executed. This is an honor that we have, that as we worship, the vengeance of God and the punishment of God against the enemy begins to be inflicted. I believe one reason the enemy was sent here was to be punished by your praise and by your worship. And that is an honor that we have. It's real quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. It's an honor you have to, as you worship and praise, for the enemy to be silenced. The enemy has no legal access. I feel like I say this every so often, but I feel like I need to enforce this idea. The devil, the enemy, Lucifer, he is not some big bad dude who is stronger than you. He is a fallen angel, and we have been given authority even over angels that are in heaven. If we've been given authority over them, you better believe you've been given authority over a fallen angel. He's He's not this big, bad, buff dude who's just waiting and you're some little weakling. You've been given a weapon to silence him. The only thing he can do is run his mouth. And whenever he begins to talk, you begin to worship, he begins to be silenced and judgment is inflicted upon him. He's been stripped of every right he has and judgment has now been written against him. And we enforce that judgment whenever we begin to worship and whenever we begin to praise. So next time... Listen, so the next time the enemy crosses your path and something happens in your life or something goes sideways or the enemy begins to lie and get in your ear and talk to you, instead of getting freaked out, instead of getting scared, instead of running away, run to the battle with your worship and watch as the enemy is sent fleeing in seven different ways. Watch as the enemy begins to run and begins to be silenced as you worship and as you praise. God is going to rout your enemy and he will be silenced because your prayer 
praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare that God has given you to inflict judgment upon the enemy. Will you stand up to your feet this morning and lift your hands to the Lord and begin to worship him and give him praise and give him glory today? Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.